0: They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com.
1: Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad.
0: Today's podcast was recorded yesterday. If you want to listen to my podcasts commercial-free the day I record them, go to petershift.locals.com and sign up. It only costs $5 a month. Today's podcast is sponsored by Indeed. Indeed makes it easy to connect with your applicants. No need to install anything extra. Indeed's virtual interviews work from your browser. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash peter. Offer good for a limited time. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Outer. Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture all from sustainable materials. And it's the only outdoor furniture with a patented built-in cover to make protection effortless. And now for a limited time, you can get $300 off and free shipping at liveouter.com gold. This week, the S&P is trying to break a seven-week losing streak. That is its longest streak of losing weeks since March of 2001 the Dow Jones is trying to break an eight-week losing streak that is the longest streak of weekly losses for the Dow Jones since 1923 and this week is already off to a rough start the Dow though did manage to claw its way back from a better than 500 point decline this morning to gain just under 50 points That was a gain of 0.15% on the day, but it was the only major stock market index that closed positive. The S&P was down 0.8, Russell 2000 down 1.5%. That index is now sitting 28% lower than its high. The NASDAQ, the big loser on the day, down 2%. 30 percent below its high but all of these indexes finished well off the day's lows there was a late day rally the Nasdaq was down better than three percent near the lows and these more speculative Nasdaq names the Cathie Wood ARK innovation type names were down the most in fact the ARK fund was down seven percent on the day was down more at one point the fund is now 75 percent below its peak I still think this index won't bottom out until it's down more than 90% from its record high. That still means it's a long way down for the Kathy Wood ARK Innovation Fund. You know, I recently read, too, that money is still flowing into the ARK Fund. Investors have not given up despite the 75% decline. In fact, the article that I read pointed out that there's outflows from energy stocks Oil and gas ETFs are losing money as investors are putting more money into the ARK fund. To me, that just shows there's a lot more upside in the energy sector, a lot more downside. I don't know why investors are refusing to abandon ship. Maybe some of them have margin calls and instead of selling ARK, they're selling their energy stocks, one of the few stocks that they may own that are going up they're getting rid of their winners and doubling down on their losers or maybe they don't have margin calls maybe they just feel that these stocks are cheap and they're selling the gains that they have in energy to take bigger positions in tech stocks that they think are on sale this is a bad strategy and i think investors will finally see the light maybe it'll take another double in the oil stocks and a much bigger decline in these so-called innovation stocks before they come to their senses but the debacle de jour that really set the stage this morning for the early morning sell-off in tech stocks was the earnings warning yesterday after the close from Snap. Now, Snap came out and warned that the guidance it gave just three weeks ago was no longer any good due to the rapid deterioration In the US economy which impacted their advertising sales revenue and the stock immediately tanked 30 percent it was down more during the actual session it closed down 43 percent that is the biggest down day in the history of the company but nothing that Snap said should be a surprise I mean I have been talking about this very problem for months on this podcast I have specifically cited that all these companies that are basing their revenues on advertising are in trouble where the users don't really pay for the product but they depend on ad revenue what I've been saying is the advertising companies are going to have to cut back especially since there are so many companies that depend on the same advertisers and all those advertisers depend on the same customer base well that customer base is broke the customers are spending all of their money on food they're spending it on energy they're spending it on insurance or health care or higher interest rates and whoever that affects them whether it's mortgage rates uh, credit card debt auto loans whatever it is you've got consumers loaded up with debt that debt is more expensive to service And they're also having to pay higher prices for the things that they need and therefore they're giving up the things that they don't need and that's why these advertisers are in trouble because a lot of the advertisers are advertising products that people don't have to buy they're advertising products that people want to buy and they'll buy them if they can afford it but they have to buy food they have to buy energy and if those things are a lot more expensive well then they got to give up the things they like so they can still afford to buy the things that they need. I have been hammering home those themes. That's why the stocks that I own personally and the stocks that I own for my clients reflect that reality. I want to own companies that sell the things that consumers need, not the stuff that they buy after they finish buying the stuff that they need because they might not have any money left over. And so that's what's happening. You're seeing that in these social media companies that's why there were such a huge tail effect from the bombshell from snap because a lot of other stocks got caught up in the downdraft stocks like Facebook down seven and a half percent today on the lows it was down better than nine percent down 53 percent Google you know alphabet down five percent today 30 percent from its high. Amazon down another 3%, not an ad based stock, but still, you know, big tech caught up in this now down 47%. But look at some of these other names, Twitter, you know, which also is an ad based company down five and a half percent today, now down 51%. Doesn't look like that Elon Musk deal is going through. You know, by the way, Tesla continues to have problems on its own. Tesla was down another 7% today. $628. Remember, that stock was at $1,240 at its peak. Netflix continues to fall, dropped 4% today, now down 74%. But Snap wasn't the only stock to warn about problems with customers and a weakening U.S. economy. Best Buy had a similar warning, although the stock managed to recover and it eked out a small gain on the day. Not so fortunate for Abercrombie & Fitch. They warned the stock finished 29% lower on the day. At one point, it was down over 30%. The stock is now down 61% from its peak. By the way, Gap stores, I've been talking about Gap a bit. It dropped another 10% on the day, now down 73% from its highs. Again, the Gap sells things that people want to buy, not things that they have to buy. You can always make do with the clothes that you have. You don't have to buy new clothes. And that's what Abercrombie and Fitch and Gap shareholders are discovering but what the investors should have already known and they should not be discovering that this problem was already here you have so many people who've got their heads buried in the sand or they're just listening to the Federal Reserve that is talking about how strong the U.S. economy is because the U.S. consumer is so strong if the U.S. consumer was so strong SNAP's earnings wouldn't be imploding Neither would Abercrombie's or neither would Gap's. Companies would not be reporting this type of drop in revenue if the consumer was as strong as the Federal Reserve pretends. But it's not just weak corporate earnings, particularly among retailers, that is confirming the underlying weakness in the US economy that the Federal Reserve still denies exists. In fact, the Federal Reserve doesn't just deny the economy is weak. It claims it's never been stronger. But we also had economic data today that belies those claims. We had three releases today, all three well below estimates. Let's start with the PMI Flash Composite Index for May. The April number for the composite was 55.5. The consensus range was from 55.5 to 55.8. We came out at 53.8 below the lower range of the consensus. Look at the manufacturing index was supposed to come in between 58 and 60. It was 58.9 in April, came out at 57.5. And the service index, which was 55.3 last month, was supposed to be anywhere from 55 to 57. It came out at 53.5. So all three categories below the low range of the consensus estimate and we also got the Richmond Fed manufacturing index that was at 14 in April the estimate was 14 again for May but the range was 14 on the low end to 20 on the high end instead we came in at minus nine not even a positive number a negative number negative nine another bad economic report But the worst one on the day, which again, shouldn't be a surprise, but for some reason, data that should be obvious takes everybody on Wall Street by complete surprise. And that is new home sales. Now, the new home sale number for March was 763,000. That's an annualized number. Well, that got revised way down to 709,000. The consensus estimate For April was 750,000 and the range was 700,000 on the low side to 780,000 on the high side we actually got 591,000 starts that is the weakest number in nine years now this is I think is what really sent the markets reeling today particularly the bond market because we had a big rise in bond prices a big drop in yields the yield on the 30-year treasury Back down below 3% at two spot 973, the 10 year all the way back down to two spot 760, and the five year at two spot 757. And I think the catalyst for that was this really weak new home sale number. But why would this surprise anybody? we know that new home prices are rising due to the increasing cost of materials and labor. So new homes are more expensive to build but they're also far more expensive to buy because of mortgage rates that have moved up dramatically in this country. So new homes are more expensive so you have to take on a bigger mortgage to buy one but the interest rates on those bigger mortgages are much higher and so people are getting priced out of the market and so they're not buying this should be obvious I don't know why the home builders obviously these stocks are finally getting killed but they should have been getting killed a long time ago because nothing should have been more obvious than this the key is though when are prices going to start to drop now on new homes maybe not because they'll just stop building new homes I mean that is going to happen and that's going to be very problematic for construction workers because if new homes aren't being built well construction workers they're not getting hired so there are going to be a lot of layoffs in the home building market just like there's gonna be a lot of layoffs in the automobile market I mean look at used car prices used car prices are way up but used car sales are now starting to fall why? Because people can't afford to buy even a used car, let alone a new car. And in fact, I think the average age of a car now on the road is something like a record high. It's around 11 or 12 years old. I'm not sure exactly. I heard the statistic earlier today, but this is a very, very old fleet of cars that Americans are hanging on to. Why? Well, because they can't afford to buy another car especially if they have a big mortgage on the car they already have and they don't really want to be able to roll it over into a new car especially if new car financing or even used car financing is a lot more expensive and so if people aren't buying new cars well then we don't need workers to make those new cars. You know by the way a lot of these companies that have been reporting weaker sales and lower profits because their customers are broke they're also pointing out that they have too many workers, that they hired too many people because they anticipated demand that doesn't exist. So a lot of layoffs are coming across the board. You know, this is what's going to really shock the Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve was convinced that high inflation was transitory. They were wrong. That's permanent. What was transitory or what will prove to be transitory is low unemployment. Unemployment is going to skyrocket in this country and it's going to completely shock the Federal Reserve how quickly the unemployment rate rises and this red hot labor market that they thought meant the economy was impervious to a rate shock well they're going to see all of a sudden they're going to have high unemployment but what's really going to shock the Fed is that as unemployment rises inflation will continue to rise it will not provide any relief from inflation because people working doesn't cause inflation if anything it mitigates the damage caused by inflation. When people lose their jobs, the deficits are going to get bigger, the money printing is going to get bigger, and so inflation is going to get worse, not better. When it comes to hiring, we're living in some pretty challenging times right now, especially when it comes to filling key positions for which there's a shortage of qualified candidates. But you don't have to hope for a miracle. You've got Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending countless hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skill set, Indeed can be a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed's Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job descriptions the moment they sponsor a job according to Indeed data. One of the things I like best about Indeed is how simple it makes the hiring process. You can do it all in one place. For example, with Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applicants who meet your must-have requirements. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com/peter. This offer is for a limited time, so claim your $75 job credit right now at indeed.com/peter. That's indeed.com/peter. Terms and conditions apply. Paper qualified applicant not available to all users. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. But getting back to this collapse in new home sales I also expect to see a collapse in existing home sales maybe not quite as big but it's going to continue to grow but what's going to give next is price because if homes aren't selling well if you got a home and you want to sell it what do you do you have to drop the price and real estate prices are going to start to fall and that's going to knock the legs out of a lot of other consumers because right now the only asset that some Americans own that's going up are their homes and of course half of Americans are probably own homes so all they're doing is paying higher rent but those Americans that do own homes have an asset that's going up because if they have stocks well they're getting killed there we know that but at least they've got more home equity. Well, now that's going to change once real estate prices start to fall because if Americans can't afford to buy houses, prices have to come down because they have to come down to a level where somebody can actually buy because if somebody has to sell, well, there has to be a, a transaction. The problem is all of the home prices are established by those few homes that actually trade. So even if there aren't a lot of sales, but those sales take place at lower prices then all the rest of the housing inventory gets marked down to those sales and that means a lot of home equity is going to vanish. Now a lot of that home equity may have been what many Americans were relying on. That might have been the only lifeline they had left and it's about to be cut. Now some people might think well at least that's going to be good right if home prices go down doesn't that make homes more affordable. Well, not really. I mean, obviously it's more affordable than if the prices don't go down, but it doesn't mean that home buyers are going to be catching a break because they're going to pay a lower price to buy the house, but they're going to have to borrow at a much higher interest rate. So their monthly payments could end up being higher, even though the price of the house is lower. And don't forget, the mortgage is only part of what it costs you to be a homeowner. Your electricity bills and other utility bills are going to go up. Your insurance costs are going up. Your maintenance costs are going up. Anything that needs to be repaired or replaced, it's going to cost you a lot more money to effect those repairs or to replace parts that are worn out. The labor to do it is more expensive. Taxes are going up. Everything about home ownership is getting more expensive. And the only thing that can really give is the price. But as home prices are coming down, even as the cost of home ownership is going up, that really hurts those Americans that have been relying on that one piece of wealth, right, for their standard of living. And so as that goes, well, that's it. And, you know, the Federal Reserve has been, in theory, targeting the stock market. I've heard a lot of talk about how the Fed is hoping to reduce inflation by reducing the stock market and, therefore mitigating the wealth effect and creating a reverse wealth effect the idea being that if stock investors are less wealthy because their stock portfolios have gone down well maybe they'll spend less and so that will take some of the pressure off inflation but I don't think that approach is going to work I think the people who think that the stock market going down is going to solve the inflation problem they still don't understand the inflation problem
1: traffic jams
0: People think solving the inflation problem is just about raising interest rates. That if we take away these ultra low interest rates and return to some kind of neutral level, that inflation is going to go back down to 2%. That's not going to happen because inflation is not just about interest rates, it's about the money supply. The money supply has to not only stop growing, it needs to start contracting. We need to drain out all that excess liquidity that the Fed has flooded into the economy, but it's not going to happen. Sure, the Fed is talking about shrinking its balance sheet, but it hasn't shrunk it at all yet, nor do I believe it's ever going to make any headway in that direction because before it does, we're going to be in a recession. Meanwhile, look at the budget deficits. They're still about $3 trillion a year. So unless the federal government is going to balance the budget, which it's not going to do, where is that $3 trillion going to come from to balance the books, to make sure that the checks don't bounce, There's no way the US Treasury is going to find private buyers to buy up all these low yielding treasuries. The only buyer is going to be the Federal Reserve. So as long as we have this bloated federal government, we're going to have inflation. And it doesn't matter if interest rates are zero or two or three or 4%, inflation is not going away. In fact, you know, a lot of people when they talk about how we've had these ultra low interest rates. And they now agree that that era is over, that we're going to go back to higher rates or normal rates. They never acknowledge how much damage was done to the U.S. economy during that decade of near 0% interest rates. I mean, that didn't happen without cost, right? The Federal Reserve made a deal with the devil back in 2008. I've been talking about this. Well, you know, when you make a deal with the devil, Eventually the devil comes back looking to collect. He wants your soul and the Federal Reserve sold the soul of the nation to the devil after the 2008 financial crisis in order to kick the can down the road. And we went down this path with quantitative easing and now we're going to have to deal with the consequences. It's not like we could just raise interest rates and act like nothing happened over that decade. A lot happened. The irony of it is a lot of people think we're stronger. I keep hearing people say because the Federal Reserve and the government acted boldly and courageously with this big stimulus during COVID that now we're in better shape going forward than maybe other countries where their governments were more timid with their response. It's actually the opposite. Because of what the Federal Reserve did after COVID we're even worse shape than we would have done had they not been so bold in being such cowards. They weren't brave in what they did. If they were brave, they would have done the opposite. It's because they were so scared to be brave that they chickened out and they just did more of the same. And we had all of this money printing and all of these bailouts. And all of this, both pre and post COVID, has done massive structural damage to our economy, as is evidenced by these massive trade deficits. The country is hemorrhaging red ink because of these malinvestments. All these stocks that are crashing, and I just mentioned a few of them, and they're going to keep crashing. Many of these companies are going to go bankrupt, but most of these companies never should have gone public, or they never should have been created at all, and they wouldn't have been created but for the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve prevented companies that we needed to create From coming into existence while causing companies that never should have existed to be created instead one example would be all these crypto companies these blockchain and bitcoin companies I mean what a waste of resources but a lot of other companies have been waste of resources meanwhile we didn't invest enough in agriculture in in mining in manufacturing in stuff we really need and so that's one of the reasons that so much stuff is in short supply But what's also in short supply is economic understanding, especially when it comes to inflation. Look, instead of trying to figure out why inflation is so high right now, it would be better if a lot of people asked the question, why was inflation so low in the past, specifically since the 2008 financial crisis? When we started quantitative easing, why didn't we have inflation back then? because I was one of the people who was warning about the inflation problem that the Fed was unleashing with quantitative easing. Now, early on, we didn't see the inflation problem. At least most people, I saw it, but the majority of the nation was too blind to recognize the problem because a lot of the inflation manifests itself in rising asset prices. So instead of pushing up consumer good prices, The Federal Reserve pushed up stock prices and real estate prices. Now everybody was happy about that. Nobody cared about inflation when it made them feel richer. But I was warning from the beginning that the end result, the final resting place for all this inflation, once it made its way through financial assets, would be in consumer goods. I just didn't know how long the lag would take how long it would take for the inflation to flow through the economy to get out of financial assets and go into consumer goods I just knew that eventually it would happen I just didn't know how long the trip would be but I know where we were going to end up and we're there but early on people got confused they believed the Paul Krugman's of the world that said the Peter Schiff's of the world had been proven wrong that you can print all this money and not have inflation well that's a bunch of nonsense When you print all this money by definition you have inflation because that's what inflation is. If people only understood that they would understand why consumer prices are rising. Now of course consumer prices have been rising for the past 10 years. It's just that they weren't rising enough given how rigged the CPI is for the increase to come on people's radars, at least investors' radars. I think the public understood that they were paying higher prices but as long as they got more money from the government, they got stimmy checks, their stock portfolios were going up, their home equity was going up, they were okay with rising prices until the point where rising prices really accelerated up to a whole new trajectory Prices are now rising at such a fast pace that even a rigged CPI can't hide it and now asset prices are falling and this is not going to stop. The Fed does not have a cure for this. There is no way to take inflation and get it to go back to financial assets and out of consumer goods. It is in consumer goods forever. This is the final resting place of all inflations is consumer goods and we're just getting started and that's what I said earlier in the podcast it's not about just raising interest rates that's not going to work and of course we can't even raise rates high enough to make a big dent in borrowing and consumption without imploding the economy not just into a massive recession worse than the great recession of 2008 but creating an even worse financial crisis than the one that precipitated the great recession of 2008 except we can't have any bailouts which will make it that much worse which is why inflation is not going to stop think about it we have this massive gap between what the government spends and what the government collects in taxes that gap has to be paid for it's been paid for and it's being paid for by inflation now for a while Americans didn't really feel the pain for the reasons I just said. But now that inflation tax is really bearing down heavily on middle class and lower class Americans. And in fact, even upper class Americans are probably starting to feel the pain of that inflation tax, particularly since their stock portfolios are imploding and so now this is a political problem. And so now the politicians care about inflation because the voters care about inflation. But what the politicians can't do is level with the public about inflation being a tax. So what they're doing is trying to figure out who to blame it on. And right now the obvious scapegoat is Putin. Even though Putin's really got nothing to do with this, in fact if you look at how much oil prices have gone up since Putin invaded the Ukraine I think the pace of increase is actually slower now than it was before the invasion I mean oil prices might even be higher than they are right now but for that invasion who knows the price is going up regardless of what happens in the Ukraine and it's not Putin's fault. I mean, there are some things that you could blame Putin on, but not U.S. inflation. In fact, inflation is one of the only things that's still made in America. In fact, it's our biggest export. We export inflation all around the world, and I think our ability to do that is going to wane. That is another thing that's about to change. Looking at the geopolitical landscape, it is going to be harder and harder for America to rely on countries like China, or countries like Saudi Arabia. We're not going to be able to continue to export all of our inflation. We're going to be stuck with that inflation, and it's not going away. Because the only way that we can really lower inflation is for the U.S. government to find another way to pay for all this government spending that's not inflation. Now the only way to do it is through legitimate taxation but you're not going to get the money from the rich. There's just not enough money there. They're already paying very high taxes. The only way you're going to get enough money to pay for this government is to go after the middle class. I mean something like half the country doesn't pay any income taxes. Now I know they pay payroll taxes but they don't pay income taxes. And if you want to get rid of inflation, you've got to make them pay either an income tax or you've got to introduce a national sales tax or a national value added tax. The middle class is going to have to pay higher taxes in order to be relieved from high inflation. It's one or the other because if you don't want to cut government spending if you want all these programs you want Social Security you want Medicare you want National Defense you want all that you got to pay for it one way or another either through inflation and you pay higher prices or you pay higher taxes and you don't have the inflation but those are the choices. Now of course there's one more choice and that's cut government spending but nobody is talking about doing that. Look even Donald Trump refused to do that, which was one of the reasons that I was so critical of Donald Trump because of the increase in government spending that happened on his watch. And if we're not going to cut government spending when the Republicans have the White House and both houses of Congress, when are we ever going to cut it? Because in theory, it's only the Republicans who oppose government spending. The Democrats want to spend more. Nobody is talking about cutting government spending. And so we're not going to be able to get rid of inflation. We are stuck with it it is here for good that is what nobody seems to understand but the markets are going to figure that out and if you're looking at the trading activity following today's economic data and the way the markets have been trading for the past week or so as we keep getting bombarded with bad news on the economy that is maybe getting people to think that the Fed is not going to be able to deliver on all of these rate hikes the market is now starting to focus a little bit more on the pivot and not the next 50 basis point rate hike. And as traders begin to make this shift, it is going to change how they are investing their money. It is gonna change the outlook for the dollar, for gold, for everything that was impacted by the idea that the Fed was going to successfully battle inflation with tight money because all of that was predicated on the economy being strong enough to withstand the fight. The minute that's proven not to be the case and it will be proven not to be the case and it's amazing to me that after the Fed has proven wrong on the economy that it can possibly have any credibility left because for so long it claimed that inflation was transitory and then it turned out it was wrong And by the time it decides that it has to fight inflation, and it does so because the economy is so super strong, the next thing you know, before they barely raise rates, we are in a recession. I mean, how clueless will the Fed look? Of course, they're going to come up with some type of excuse for their getting it wrong. And of course, they'll once again claim that everybody else got it wrong. And so it's okay if they got it wrong, because so did everybody else. Well, What's the point of having the Fed? If the Fed just makes the same mistake as everybody else, then why not fire all those economists because we're clearly wasting our money because despite the fact they have all these resources at their disposal, they still have no clue as to what's going on in the economy, yet somehow they're trying to micromanage it. But when the Federal Reserve has to acknowledge the underlying weakness in the economy and it therefore backs away from its infection fighting, that is going to be a huge game changer. We spend about 95% of our lives indoors but many of our favorite moments actually happen outdoors in the fresh air, the feeling of peace and since warm summer weather is almost here let's make the most of it with Outer the new outdoor furniture company with purposely designed furniture to get you outdoors more often. Outer makes some of the world's most beautiful, comfortable, innovative and high quality outdoor furniture all from sustainable materials and it's the only outdoor furniture with a patented built-in cover to make protecting it effortless. From teak chairs to fire pit tables, everything Outer makes has the look and feel of what you'd expect from a five-star resort only for less than what you'd pay at a big box store for something that won't last nearly as long. Outer's better in every way because they've spent years perfecting outdoor products with stunning modular designs to customize your space. Life-proof materials with nano-coating that's water, mold, bleach, and stain-resistant. Over 1,000 neighborhood showrooms spread across the country allow you to see the outer difference in person and experience the triple memory foam cushions that are comfier than most indoor sofas. Outer's patented built-in outer shell cover protects your furniture from rain and dew. It's the how-did-no-one-think-of-this-before invention that made Shark Tank's Lori Grenier and Mr. Wonderful fight to invest. Outer's furniture comes with a best-in-class warranty like 10 years for their chic aluminum line and a two-week free trial that includes free returns. I especially like their virtual showrooms and then the added benefit of being able to experience the actual furniture in the homes of satisfied customers. See the difference for yourself at liveouter.com slash gold. Plus for a limited time, now you can get $300 off and free shipping. This is Outer's best offer anywhere and it's only available to podcast listeners and only for a limited time. Get $300 off and free shipping at liveouter.com That's gold. Live O U-T-E-R oute slash gold. Liveouter.com slash gold. Terms and conditions apply. But again, the real game changer, what is going to take this thing to a whole new level is going to be the realization that even though the economy is weakening or in recession, inflation is not only not coming back down to 2%, it's actually getting worse. It's not even just going to stay at the high level. It's actually going to move to a whole new plateau. That is a completely different ball game because the markets are completely unprepared for that outcome. Again, it's stagflation, but worse because it's recession and high inflation happening at the same time. And if your portfolio is not prepared for that, it's going to collapse along with the Fed's reputation my portfolios everything I've been advocating is exactly designed for that outcome because I've known from the beginning that that's where we're headed but what investors need to do or listeners to my podcast is get their portfolios positioned properly now before the market wakes up to this reality because when it does these moves are going to be huge I think people are going to be afraid to buy into the gold market when it's moving up $100, $200 a day. They're going to be afraid to get into the mining stocks when these things are moving up 10, 20% or more in a single day. This is what I think is going to happen. Right now we're in the lull before the storm. Take advantage of the fact that people are in this vortex of ignorance right now when it comes to inflation and the Federal Reserve and the U.S. economy, take advantage of that. And that means buying the gold and silver while other people are dumb enough to sell it. Buy physical gold from Shift Gold. You know, if you're not currently a customer of Shift Gold, give us a call. We've got the best prices, I think in the country on physical bullion that's what you want you don't want to get into numismatics you don't want to be a coin collector you want to be a gold and silver investor so don't let some salesman trick you into overpaying for these semi-numismatic fake collectibles where you're paying 30 40 percent markups pay two three percent markups or less by buying just bullion through shift gold and again if you have the stomach for the volatility if you have capital that you're willing to risk the risk reward situation in the mining stocks in my mind has never been better not only do i think we have 10 baggers in the junior mining sector i think we have 20 baggers 50 baggers 100 baggers by the time this bull market is over so you want to get position now while gold is not exploding higher yet it continues to creep higher It was up about 10 bucks again today. We're now at 1865. So we've moved above 1850. And I think we have some clear sailing all the way back up to 1900. I think there'll be some resistance up there, but don't wait for that. Just buy it now. And remember, While I believe owning gold and silver is relatively conservative, gold and silver are money, they're stores of value, gold more so than silver, silver a bit more speculative than gold, but gold mining stocks are a whole different animal. They're far more speculative. These are operating businesses that are highly leveraged to the price of these metals. So if you're willing to lose money, then you can take that risk capital and put it in mining stocks, And if I'm right, you make a tremendous amount of money. But why I think it's worth the gamble is because if you look at the upside potential in relationship to the downside risk, I mean, what's the most you could lose, right? Someone puts, you know, 100 grand in gold mining stocks. What's the most they can lose? Well, if every single stock you own goes bankrupt, you lose hundred grand. Now, I think the risk of that happening is pretty low. But let's just say it's possible that every single stock you buy goes bankrupt. Now, the odds of that happening are greater if you have a very small portfolio. Now, if you diversify, and especially if you have a guy doing your stock picking like Adrian Day, who manages my gold fund, the odds of that happening are extremely low. But they're not zero. But worst case scenario, you lose your $100,000. But In the best case scenario, that 100,000 could turn into a million. It can turn into 2 million. It can turn into a lot more than that. So that's the point is that you have a lot more to gain. If I end up being right, than you can lose if I'm completely wrong. The key is you have to be able to afford to lose that money. And if you can't afford to lose it, then don't put it at risk. But if you can, if you have risk capital, this is where it should be. It shouldn't be in cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin or any of this stuff. That's high risk, but I don't think the upside potential is worth it because I think you have significantly more downside risk than realistic upside potential. It is the opposite in the gold and silver mining sector. And again, I think the Euro Pacific Gold Fund is the best portfolio out there. I think Adrian has done a great job of picking stocks for us. You can get a prospectus. You can buy my gold fund at any of these discount brokerage firms. Fidelity Schwab you can also talk to Europe Pacific Capital reps about my gold fund in fact we have separately managed accounts if you don't want to be in a fund if you're a larger investor here at Europe Pacific Asset Management we will manage portfolios for you in individual accounts managed by Adrian Day he will get you into a diversified portfolio of gold stocks not just the big stocks anybody can buy those but figure out which Of the juniors you want to buy and also more importantly which ones to avoid that's the key right you want to make sure that you concentrate your firepower in the stocks that have the best chance of succeeding and minimize those that have the least chance of succeeding the question is how do you know the difference most people don't Adrian does he's been doing it for almost 40 years and so that's why you want somebody who specializes in this sector managing your portfolio. That's why I hired him. I didn't want to do it myself. I wanted somebody who does nothing but manage these companies who is familiar with the management teams the projects that really lives and breathes the gold mining industry and that's what Adrian does. But while you can put your risk capital into gold and silver mining companies the money that you don't want to put at risk, the money that is currently at risk to inflation, at risk to the weakness in the U.S. financial markets, I think that money should be invested far more conservatively in defensive dividend-paying non-U.S. stocks. And these stocks are holding up very well this year. We have nice gains in our portfolios. Despite the carnage on Wall Street, our foreign stocks are going up. And they're going up even as the dollar goes up which means once the dollar starts going down and judging by recent action that decline may have already started then we're going to have a tailwind instead of a headwind but these dividend paying foreign stocks companies that sell what people need not what people want this is what you have to have in your portfolio because you can't be in paper even if it's euros or even if it's yen all the currencies are going to go down I think the dollar is going to go down the most because the US dollar has the most to lose as we move away from this fiat standard back towards a real sound monetary system anchored to gold I think gold is going to resume its position as the primary reserve asset for central banks And that's a huge loss for the US because the US has been the issuer of the main reserve currency, the dollar. And so we've been able to live beyond our means. We've been able to build an economy, this service sector economy, on the foundation of the dollar's reserve currency status so we can afford to run these huge trade deficits in perpetuity. Well, when that rug gets pulled out from under us, America will suffer uniquely relative to the rest of the world from a change in the monetary order and we're going to go from the top of the pecking order to the bottom and we're going to have to reinvent our economy and it's not going to be easy but in the meantime there's going to be massive inflation and U.S. financial assets are going to lose a lot of value relative to financial assets of other economies, particularly the emerging market economies. That's another place where if you have risk capital, I think there's a lot of upside potential there. That's why one of our mutual funds is an emerging market fund. You can check out that prospectus, you can buy that mutual fund as well at all the discount brokers. You can also talk to the Euro Pacific brokers about it or your Pacific asset management we also have a wrap program where I'll manage a portfolio in all five of my mutual funds all of these funds are designed to get you out of the US dollar out of US assets and to provide a portfolio that will deliver real returns in a stagflationary environment here in the United States and those portfolios are already delivering solid positive returns thus far in 2022. Despite the headwind of a strong dollar, I think once we get that tailwind from a weak dollar, the returns will be much better. And in fact, the signs are there that the dollar may have already topped out. I pointed this out on my last couple of podcasts. The dollar index peaked just above 105. We were down again today. We sunk below 102. We closed at 101, spot 78. Dollar weakness is showing me that the markets again are starting to look beyond the hill of rate hikes to the valley behind it of rate cuts. Again, they're still not looking to the next valley of stagflation where inflation gets worse as the Fed is cutting rates. That's going to happen. The markets are not there yet. They will get there eventually, but they're just starting to get to the initial phase of seeing this light and we're seeing weakness in the dollar, you know, ironically, or maybe it's poetic justice, but the dollar is the most weak against the Russian ruble. In fact, yesterday alone, the dollar sank 6% against the ruble in one day. The ruble is near a five-year high against the euro, so a four-year high in change against the US dollar. It is the strongest currency in the world so far in 2022. Now, initially when the world announced the sanctions against Russia, the ruble tanked. But the ruble is now much higher than it was before it tanked. And in fact, I talked about this when Joe Biden gave his initial speech in early March bragging about the weak Russian ruble and how the ruble was rubble and how this showed how the sanctions were working I said that he should be very careful about bragging about a falling ruble because I said ultimately it would be the dollar that would be reduced to rubble that the ruble would rise and the dollar would fall now I said the dollar would fall against everything and so far the dollar is up against other currencies but it is down and down sharply against the Russian ruble, which also validates another one of my predictions, which was that the sanctions would not work, that the sanctions would in fact backfire and end up strengthening, not weakening Russia. And that is exactly what's happening. In fact, by Joe Biden's own standards, the sanctions have backfired because he used the falling ruble as proof that the sanctions were working. Well, if a weak ruble proved the sanctions were working, doesn't a strong ruble now prove that they're not working? It can't be heads I win, tails you lose. So obviously the sanctions have backfired, but they're gonna backfire on the US in a much bigger way. It's not just the stronger ruble and enriching Russia by pushing up the value of everything that it's exporting, but we're driving China closer to Russia. In fact, Biden made another gaffe the other day by actually saying that if China were to invade Taiwan, that the U.S. would intervene and use its military to defend Taiwan. That's almost like a declaration of war in advance, right? Hey, China, if you go into Taiwan, we're gonna declare war on you. We're gonna move our military into Taiwan. How could you say that? I mean, even if you would do that, Why would you let the Chinese know that you're going to do that in advance unless you're trying to provoke them, unless you're trying to draw that line in the sand. But the minute you do that, obviously the Chinese are not going to react well to that. It is another wake-up call. It's not just that we may sanction them for invading Taiwan. We're actually going to fight on behalf of Taiwan in an active military combat against China. I mean, when you're that antagonistic China is going to look to defend itself and we are pushing them closer and closer into an alignment with Russia and other countries which will undermine the ability of the United States to maintain the US dollar as the world's reserve currency at a point in time where we need the dollar to be the world's reserve currency and depend on that strong dollar now more than ever before. It makes no sense for Biden to have said something like that. Which is why he quickly backtracked, but you can't put that genie back in the bottle. It's been said, and now the Chinese know that it's been thought. And you know, imagine from the Chinese perspective what would happen if China said, Hey, United States, if one of your 50 states decides it wants to secede from the union, let's say Texas, for example, if they vote to secede and they just tell the United States, hey, we're gone, we're our own sovereign country, so you know, we're not gonna pay your income taxes anymore, and we're not gonna abide by your rules and regulations, and we're not gonna cover any of the national debt. Right? If a state like Texas did that, And then the US like sent in the army or the Marines to try to put down that rebellion and say, no, 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 you ain't leaving this union, right? Just like the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln didn't let any of the Southern states go. There was a whole war to make sure they didn't go. Well, let's say the United States did the same thing again, because certainly there's precedent for, hey, America is a Roche motel, right? A state could check in, but we ain't gonna let you check out. Even though I know in this Texas constitution, it says that they joined the union on the condition that they could leave. I mean, they've never tested that, but what if China said, hey, if Texas declares independence and the US invades, well, we're gonna send our military into China and we're gonna fight on the behalf of the Texans And, you know, we're going to use all of our military to engage the U.S. military in a war and take the side of Texas. I mean, how would Washington, D.C. react to that kind of statement coming out of Beijing? Because that's what Beijing is hearing when it comes to Taiwan, because China thinks Taiwan is part of China. That's their official position. And America has kind of gone along with that position all along. Now, it doesn't matter whether you agree that Taiwan should be an independent nation and not part of China. I mean, personally, I would agree with that. I mean, I think the people who live in Taiwan are better off under Taiwanese rule than under Chinese rule. I think one of the reasons that Taiwan prospered so much was because it was in China. Now, that communist China no longer exists, so it's not as bad as it used to be. But I think Hong Kong was better off without being under China's thumb. And I think Taiwan is better off as well. But it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what China thinks. Because as far as China is concerned, Taiwan is part of China. Just like America thinks Texas is part of the United States. Now, personally, I think Texas would be better off as its own country. So would Florida. In fact, so would just about any state, any red state as far as I'm concerned, would be better off. In fact, any blue state. The federal government is far too big, far too powerful. It far exceeds the limited powers authorized to it by the Constitution. I think it makes no sense for this union to continue. I think it would be better off if it was disbanded and we had 50 sovereign states without a federal government. I think the standard of living of the 50 states would be much higher than the collective standard of living of the United States but that's not going to happen because Washington DC is not going to let it happen. But my point is what if China says if any of the states try to leave we're going to send our military in there. That would be considered an act of war. It wouldn't go over well in Washington DC and our statement didn't go over well in Beijing. But again all of this is why America cannot rely on the rest of the world to the extent that it did in the past and why inflation is here to stay because we can't export it. All these countries that we're antagonizing are not going to keep loaning us money. They're not going to keep stockpiling our IOUs. They're going to want to consume their own stuff. They're not going to want to send it over here. The supply shortages are just beginning because America depends on the rest of the world for all the stuff that we need because we have not been investing in the right industries Because of the monetary policy of the Federal Reserve, because of the fiscal policy of the U.S. government, we have created an economy that completely depends on the kindness of the rest of the world. And we've been antagonizing the very nations we depend on the most. You know, talk about biting the hand that feeds you. That's exactly what we've done. And it's not just that China feeds us, they supply us with all sorts of low-priced consumer goods, and then they lend us the money to pay for it. Finally, though, I want to wrap up today's podcast with a word on Bitcoin, which has been relatively and a bit surprisingly resilient. I had expected Bitcoin to really break down and it hasn't. It's kind of been holding in around 29,000. It's peaked its head above 30,000 several times as I'm recording the podcast on Tuesday afternoon. It's around 29,500, but Don't be lulled into a false sense of security hodlers don't get cocky uh, about Bitcoin holding on thinking that this is it this is the bottom you know it's very rare that markets give you this much time to buy the bottom so I doubt it is the bottom it's more likely a false bottom we're going to drop through it all these other risk assets are imploding Bitcoin is not going to be immune. I'm still taking my cue from the stocks in the blockchain and crypto sector, which are extremely weak among the weakest stocks in the market. So if the future was really so bright for Bitcoin and other crypto, why is it so dim for all these companies that depend on the popularity of cryptocurrencies? But I think one of the most ominous negative signals of all remains the Grayscale Bitcoin trust and the fact that this trust is now consistently trading at a 30% discount to NAV think about that 30% the people who own the Grayscale Bitcoin trust in order to get rid of it they're willing to accept 70 cents on the dollar to get rid of that Bitcoin also what it means is that if you really believe in Bitcoin If you just buy the grayscale Bitcoin trust instead of Bitcoin, you can make a 43% gain if the discount goes away. Meaning if the price of Bitcoin just stays where it is, you can make 43% just on that discount closing, which would happen if that trust ever became an ETF now they're trying to get ETF status they've been petitioning to make it an ETF and if they ever succeed if the price of Bitcoin just stays where it is that's a 43% gain but also if the price of Bitcoin drops by 30% you don't lose any money if it becomes an ETF and of course if it goes up if the price of Bitcoin doubles and this thing becomes an ETF well then you triple your money by buying Grayscale instead. Now, yes, there's a 2% annual fee, but when you're buying it at a 30% discount, it takes 15 years before that fee is made up. Clearly, if Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is going to become an ETF, it's not going to take 15 years to do it if it takes 15 years it's never going to happen now I know a lot of people think well it's probably not going to become an ETF well if grayscale can't become an ETF then nobody is going to come an ETF if the SEC will not approve an ETF conversion for GBTC then no ETFs are going to exist and remember part of the bullish consensus on Bitcoin is the fact that there's going to be an ETF Well, one of the things that this 30% discount proves is the market is now confident that there'll never be a Bitcoin ETF. And if there's never going to be a Bitcoin ETF, then all of the gains that are supposedly going to happen because of the ETF, well, they're not going to happen either. But also, I think the fact that you have this giant trust at a 30% discount, how can Bitcoin really go up? Because demand will be siphoned away from Bitcoin to the GBTC trust where you get so much more bang for your buck or Bitcoin for your buck. But the fact that there aren't all these buyers trying to scoop up all this cheap Bitcoin through the Grayscale Trust means that there's just no interest. The institutions aren't interested in getting into Bitcoin because if they were, they would be buying this trust. The only people who want Bitcoin are the true believers and there's not that many of them. I mean, not as a percentage of the overall market. So I think that All of the signs indicate that there is another leg down coming in Bitcoin. And this next leg is going to be brutal. It's going to be the one that's going to trigger all the margin calls, all the forced selling. And you know, just like a lot of these companies are reporting bad earnings because their customers can't afford to buy their products. Well, what's going to happen to all their customers who have all their money in Bitcoin? They're going to have to sell their Bitcoin in order to buy products because prices are going up and if all you've got is Bitcoin and maybe some of these people are going to lose their jobs because as I mentioned a lot of the job losses are going to be in the crypto sector and a lot of people who work in the crypto sector are working there because they totally believe in it they drank the Kool-Aid either they believed in it before they got their job or they got their job and then they believed in it but they're probably all in on crypto and once they lose their job well how are they going to pay their rent? How are they going to buy food? buy gas well they're going to have to sell their Bitcoin you know the gas station they don't take Bitcoin the supermarket they don't take Bitcoin they want dollars and so you're going to have to sell your Bitcoin to get dollars well if everybody is selling and nobody's buying the price is going to collapse and before that happens anybody listen to this podcast and I've been telling you guys this ever since Bitcoin was almost 70,000 Don't keep talking about how I'm always wrong. I'm always wrong. Look at what's been happening for the last year. You know, there's an old song. What have you done for me lately? Well, think about that for Bitcoin. Hey, Bitcoin, what have you done for me lately? The answer is lose me a lot of money. And if you want to stop the losses before they get bigger, and if you want to get in on some profits, Then sell your Bitcoin before it collapses. You know, at Shift Gold, we still work with BitPay. You can call up Shift Gold and we use BitPay. You can unload your Bitcoin and turn it into real money. Get rid of that fool's digital gold and buy some actual gold. Or you can get some cash and invest it in other assets. You can use it to open up an account with me and I can manage the account for you in a portfolio of conservative foreign dividend paying stocks anything but hold on and hope to your Bitcoin and ride it all the way down.